You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Commodity prices across the board are up nearly 15% this year. And when I say commodity prices, I'm talking about cheese and wool. And I suppose we may need to throw in a couple of other things like lithium and iron ore and gold and platinum and palladium and oil and all those other things. But anyway, the commodity price boom is alive and well and living across every single jurisdiction. With me now is Peter Major, who is the Director of Mining at Mergence Corporate Solutions in Cape Town. This is something I haven't seen for, I don't know, a couple of decades, Peter. This is the real thing to me. It really is, Lindsay. You know, we're talking, is this the best commodity boom in 100 years? Is it the second best? Is it the third? Look, the one in the 70s was something else, without a doubt. You know, oil had been 4 or $5 a barrel. It went up to 50 Gold had been 35 an ounce. It went up to 800 So I suppose there's nothing quite to compare with the 70s, but... This one is broader spectrum, and it's lasting longer, and it's driven more on fundamentals than just a correction of uh, decades of underpricing. This, this is fundamental demand, and the virus is putting a damper on fundamental supply. And so there's a per- perfect recipe for the kind of prices we're having. So what you're saying is that there's supply constraint at the same time as increased demand, which, as you say, is the perfect storm, and, and storm being a good storm. Boy, a good storm if you have anything to do with mining and not a bad storm if you're a country dependent on mining. And we all know South Africa, whether it liked to admit it or not, was terribly dependent on mining. They did all they could to destroy it. But boy, are they happy they've got some mining now. Yeah, indeed. You talk about the printing presses of the United States of America and its U.S. Federal Reserve. These commodity companies, I've seen some results coming out. I mean, looking at Anglo-American PLC this morning, for example, they have their own printing press and they're making an absolute fortune. And when you look at Kumba Iron Ore, which is a division of Anglo-American PLC and Anglo-American Platinum, and you look at Impala Platinum's numbers, these people just don't know what to do with their money. Lindsay, it's getting harder and harder to find divisions in mining companies that aren't making money. (laughs) Now you're just comparing divisions by the quantum of money they're making, the multiples of money they're making. And yeah, it's, it's okay to say it won't last. And no one believes that more than the mining companies themselves. So if you want to ask for another record, I think this is a record of mining companies being very stingy and prudent. How are they spending the money? Because we all know they went mad, completely mad at the start of the new millennium. And we, as Goldman Sachs calculated, $2. trillion, just about all of it vaporized. It was spent from 2003 to 2014. You know, there's 10, 12-year period, $2.2 trillion, virtually vaporized, just blown. Well, boy, mining companies are not doing that now. They're really watching the money. They're paying out fat, fat dividends. They're buttressing the projects they've got. But talk about stingy on new projects. Talk about stingy on new divisions of existing projects. We've never seen them this stingy, and I don't think anybody's complaining other than maybe governments because the shareholders are really, really getting great returns now, and they're not so worried the company's going to sink itself 
putting a lot of that money into a, a big, overpriced, bad project. Do you know what I think where it really turned for me on a personal basis was when Venkat, who used to be the uh, CFO, finance director of Anglo Gold Ashanti, and then became the CEO and then obviously went off to v Vedanta, he was a bean counter. And he started to f concentrate on things like free cash flow. And he wasn't one of these diggers and dealers. He was an accountant. And he sort of set the tone for me. And those companies that looked at the Anglo Gold Ashanti model, and then the Anglo-American model um, suddenly started to say, well, we'll do this as well. Just because we're making loads of money doesn't mean to say we have to go out and buy some obscure mine in Canada or in Siberia or something like that. They were actually prudent, which is exactly what you're saying. So these companies have matured over the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, they've matured a lot over the last five. And it's funny, why do you need to mature when you've been in business for 120 years? Because I can remember 120 years ago when mining companies were run by mining engineers, and they also focused on free cash flow and balance sheets. So what have we done? Gone for full circle. And yeah, we're now looking at preserving balance sheets and distributing free cash flow. Because we all know paying dividends really, really is a way of getting a return on your investment. Because if the share price keeps going up, that's great. You got the capital appreciation. But when that share price falls back, if you left all that money in the company, it's all gone back. But by paying dividends out of that free cash flow, it gives the investor a chance to sock away some money. Let him decide if he thinks the share is underpriced, convince him of it, and he can reinvest his dividends in the company. But yeah, literally until the last year, until the last six months, we know what happened. All these companies said, we know better than the investor. Let us invest in these grandiose projects. Let us invest in our, our wet dream, our fantasy. Mm -hmm. And we know what happened when it didn't work. The shares fell 80% when there was a correction. So this is a different run from how we've seen before, just on prudent financial management I think and distribution of, of earnings. I think one of the epitomes of uh, the mining success story is Sibania Stillwater. Sibania was a spin-off from another company. We know who it is. And it's headed up by a chap called Neil Froneman. Now, Neil Froneman is a digger and a dealer. But on the other hand, he combines that frontier spirit with an accountant's brain, or, or rather he delegates the accountant's brain side of the business to accountants. So what, he's, what he did was he bought Stillwater, the platinum or the platinum group metal company, and just a couple of days ago announced that he was going into Finland to buy a, a company that, or rather a mine that mines lithium, which is part of the future, which is, which is batteries. So this is the type of mining company as I say, epitomizes the new the new wave of thinking. Yeah, and the new wave of thinking is a little bit like Anglo-American was thinking, again, a hundred years ago, and a little bit like Newmont was thinking, again, a hundred years ago. They were thinking diversification. You know, when Ernst Oppenheimer had been in diamonds for nearly 20 years, he knew diamonds as well as anybody, better than anybody, but he realized how long am I going to live with the strain of a roller coaster commodity price, roller coaster commodity cycle, you know, feast and famine? And that's when he went to who was the American president, Hoover, the mining engineer, who'd been in South Africa, who'd been in Australia. He said, I want to get into gold. I want to diversify more portfolio. I want to diversify my risk. I want to diversify my sources of income. And I like gold. You can never produce too much. Not like diamonds. You produce too much, the price goes down. Or somebody opens another diamond mine and you get slammed. 
So he diversified into gold. And yeah, now he had steady income. And that wasn't enough. Ten years later, almost to the day, he says, I want to go north and diversify in copper. I think copper is a future metal. I think it's a battery metal. It, gen- it transmits electricity. I'm going to diversify into copper. And he started some of the cop- greatest copper mines in the world, up in Zambia, even in the DRC, even in Uganda. So diversification isn't new. Warren Buffett always said it's the only free lunch he's ever seen in life. He's diversified. So, yeah, mining companies are talking about it. It sounds radical for Neil to be diversifying into lithium when he's a precious metal miner. But nobody can forecast the future. You can't even forecast these short-term cycles. As long as it generates an IRR for shareholders, they're not going to complain. Who complained about Anglo American and all their diversification for 100 years? Look at it today. It's it's an amazing story, what's going on at the moment, and I think it's evolving. How far into the commodity cycle do you think we are? I don't like to use the phrase super cycle uh, because that's uh, far too ambitious and it will probably put the spook on the whole thing. Uh, But how far are we into the commodity upswing, do you think? Man, I, I really believe we're in the tail end of the commodity upswing. And I say that based on the current prices compared to relative prices, you know, long-term means. Yeah. I say that based on demand. You know, can China keep on growing at 6 7%? Um, see, a lot of this growth is kind of post-recovery from the lockdown. I believe a, a heck of a lot of it is. And so that growth, I don't believe it can just continue on. We've as you point out, Lindsay, another 1.9 trillion. You know, the guys got pretty good at spending billions and hundreds of billions. It took them a little while, like a couple months, maybe six months. Now they're pretty adept at spending trillions. But we've had $12 trillion created internationally in the last 12 months, $14 trillion. So that's had a lot to do with growth. And they say that's why we're spending that money, to stimulate growth. But we all know it's taken more and more dollars to get a smaller and smaller percentage growth in the States now for 40 years. China's starting to find out the same thing. It takes more and more dollars to get the same 1% growth. Yeah. So if I look at prices, I think we're very close. I think we're definitely in the fourth quarter of price rises. Now, does that mean the commodity cycle is going to fall down? I don't know. The commodity cycle, gee, these prices could all fall 20 30%. And the guys are still creaming it on profits. So I think we're closer to the peak on the metal prices, but I think we're further away, like maybe a year at least, from the actual commodity demand. Okay. Let's go for specific commodities now. I want to know what you like. You can pick your top one, your top three, whatever, whatever you want. But PGMs, obviously, <laughs> PGMs are, are, are going berserk. And it seems to me, if we start with the PGMs, the platinum group metals, that there is a switch oh. going on. Palladium is staying relatively steady, but uh, platinum itself is going through the roof or has been going through the roof for the last few months. That tells me that motor companies are switching from palladium to platinum, which takes a while. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, you're, you're platinum analyst of the year. Thank platinum, you very much. It's just... Too cheap relative to palladium. And with a little bit of work in engineering, they're realizing, hey, platinum can do almost the job of palladium for less than half the price. Are they going to switch from rhodium? Boy, there's the question. Somebody's going to find out an alternative for rhodium because 24,000. I I really thought the top was 12,000. 
shows how out of touch I am with what has, has happened. You know, from 12,000, which was an all-time high, and now it's 24,000. And the guys are telling you there's no reason it can't go to 30. Yeah, there is. There are reasons it can't go to 30. But there's probably nearly as many reasons it's going to go to 30. I can't see it, but I can't see Bitcoin either. And it keeps <laughs> resurrecting itself. Okay, well, don't need to worry about platinum or palladium or rhodium or any other of the derivatives that are used in all sorts of different cell phone and motor applications. We have to look at the basket. Are you still optimistic about the basket? Because it's quite extraordinary, no. even with a strong rand. This is a massive, no. massive price. No, I, I'm thankful for the basket, Lindsay, but how can you be optimistic? The basket is now 45% rhodium. You know, when you dig rock out of the ground, 45, close to 50%. Of it's just the rhodium. There's only 900,000 ounces produced in a whole year. Mm. So, yeah, the whole basket. Iridium has now doubled and doubled again in price. I think iridium is something like $6,000 an ounce. And ruthenium, you know, it's probably doubled, but it's, it's only 10% the price of iridium. So, yeah, the whole basket has gone berserk. So why do you think platinum miners are grinning? They don't want to go to sleep. They're afraid if they go to sleep, they wake up, the, the dream's over. And if you look at these, for example, the Impala Platinum price, it's nowhere near its all-time record high, which I don't understand no. because the Platinum Basket, as we've just referenced, is absolutely, <laughs> has gone through the roof and is at all-time record highs. So when, when you talk about maybe we're in the, uh, the final stages of the commodity run, the shares themselves still have their day in the sun, I think. I can't see why Impala, for example, shouldn't go to all-time record highs this year. Look, with these kind of prices, you have to realize these guys went through some pretty rough periods. Yeah. Their all-time high prices were in 208, and that's when platinum was 2,400 an ounce, and rhodium was $10,000 an ounce. So, And they had huge operations in. Remember, they'd been increasing their size of operations constantly from 1998 to 2008. So they've been spending tens of billions of dollars on capex now when those prices fell in the middle of 208 they had to start cutting off arms and legs and toes and ears to survive because the prices just kept going down 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 you know gee rhodium went all the way down about from ten thousand dollars to 700 an ounce platinum went from 2400 i think it went as low as 600 an ounce so all these massive operations these dozens of shafts and levels they cut a lot of that off they closed a lot of that because they had more than 10 years of having to watch every penny lots of retrenchments lots of closures and then there was no new investment you know with the mprda every edition got more and more extreme got less and less investor friendly so you got declining prices declining revenue they've had massive losses for a few years and then you've got this constant pounding above you from the mprda and be so no new investment no new operations closing as many of the old operations that weren't really juicy so yes the prices are great but impala doesn't have all the arms and legs that it used to if you want to doesn't invest have the tons produced that it used to if doesn't you, have the volume. If you want to look at a company to invest in, the thing I would do is, if you have the time, is have a look at the CRB index, the Commodity Research Bureau index, and have a look at the year-to-date, year-to-date prices. Uh, and I'll give you a couple here. Copper, 23% higher year-to-date. Lithium, 45% higher 
year to date. Bitumen, 37.5% higher. Cobalt, 61% up. Aluminium is it's very, very boring. It's only 13% higher. Tin is 33% higher. Zinc is up 5%, so that's a real underperformer. Nickel's up 17%. Molybdenum up 13%. And so it goes on. Neodymium. Do you know something called neodymium? It's up 26%. Sounds like one of those rare earths. Exactly, yeah. It's up 26%. Rhodium is a 44% winner so far, and so it goes on. It's quite astonishing. I can't believe these numbers that are flashing across my screen at the moment. Nobody can believe them. Nobody. People are not panicking here. Mm. They're being prudent, especially the, especially the people producing these. Yeah. I won't say they're the non-believers, but the people producing these seem to be the most rational um, feet on the ground people. So it, it, it's just, it's pretty amazing for me. And it, it's great to see how the producers are handling these prices. You know, by now in previous cycles, the headlines were full every day of crazy mergers, acquisitions, takeovers. Um, prudence is the, the word at the top of my mind when I just see how they're behaving so far. But as the prices stay here, they're going to diversify some of that. Yeah, It's just they don't want to ride the cycle down as steeply as it went up. But there's where it takes a lot of talent. You can't really say foresight. You know, the great people in life, I don't think they forecast the future. They make the future or they take advantage of something that's in place that hasn't been fully taken advantage of. Okay, let's have a look at the implications of the commodity boom. And this is something I've been talking about now for three, maybe four months on my show. And it's the inflationary impact and the US 10-year bond yield, because the US 10-year bond yield has now doubled since April of last year. So the price of money has doubled. It's currently yielding 1.44%. Put your economist hat on now, take off your commodity hat and start to analyse the economy. What do you think the implications of rising interest rates are? Because interest rates are rising, maybe not in the eyes of the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Japan or the ECB or the Bank of England, but they're rising on my screen. What do you think? I think it's 10 years later than I thought it would. But I have to believe it's going to happen, even though we've got Japan as a great example. And I think we must never forget about Japan. Remember the massive inflationary um, thought it was going to be inflationary. Stimulus. Remember all the money Japan was creating, trillions of yens after the 1989 crack, yeah. 1990, 91, all through the 90s. And what happened? No inflation, no inflation. For 30 years, they've been creating money and no inflation. So Japan definitely led the way. And we've seen it now the last 10 or 12 years. Massive amounts, unprecedented amounts of money created. And it's not showing up in the West. So is it now finally going to show up? You know, a lot of well-known economists are saying it will come. You know, it has to come. It's just been hiding somewhere, and it is going to come out. There will be a day of reckoning. It's, there's just as many economists saying, why, no, you can keep on creating for a lot longer. It won't come out in inflation. It won't come out in um, the normal sense of it. I don't know, Lindsay, because we didn't have this big rise in inflation in 2009, 2010, 11, 12. I'm saying, geez, may we go a couple more years. I keep thinking you just can't print that kind of money without devaluing. And I think that's why the commodity prices are going up. I think definitely gold 
and I think the rest as well. They, they are discounting. You can't double the world money supply and, and not expect the commodity to go up the same amount. You've had your commodity hat on. You've had your economist hat on. Now let's put your stock picking hat on, if you can. If you had to choose one or two stocks that you would put in your portfolio, what would they be? These are always the hardest questions. And the reason they're the hardest is how many fund managers can regularly beat the index? Almost none. So that's what you're asking me to do here, saying, okay, the index has run like crazy, Pete, and it might keep running. So tell me which shares are going to outperform it. I am so scared. I'm too old. I'm too petrified of watching what happens after a run tapers and heads down. But I got to find you some answers here. I know, Lindsay. You don't have to. I, think, I mean, if, 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 if Mergence doesn't want you to do that, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Let me ask an easier question for you. Is South Africa breaking down the barriers to take advantage of the commodity boom? In other words, allowing people to mine easier? No. And that's an important question. And you see Neil Froneman saying that all the time. And now more and more of the other mining heads are saying it. Many of the economists are saying it. And you put it so eloquently. South Africa needs to break down the walls preventing investment. They need to break down these barriers. They don't need to keep tinkering with them. There's certain well-known gigantic monolithic walls preventing investment here, and it's called policies. And these policies have been put in place mainly in the new millennium. They started in the, the previous decade, you know, in the 1990s. But this government, without giving due consideration has put in all kinds of policies that it invented, that arbitrarily invented and decided it wanted to put in place with, with not a worry of the consequences. And we know what the consequences are. Massive unemployment, massive disinvestment, almost a total failure of new foreign investment and very low local reinvestment. You know, these mining companies are paying out massive dividends because they don't want to be accused by the shareholders of, of co-towing to bad policies that are anti-growth, that are anti-business. So, no, and we haven't seen that. And we were hoping the state of the nation, we were praying the budget. But no one seems strong enough in our political sphere to start dismantling these horribly negative policies that have driven out and prevented investment. Okay, well, maybe we're in the early stages of that, but the legacy issue means that uh, there, there is, as you say, monolithic walls need to be broken down brick by brick. Peter Major, thank you so much, as always, a brilliant chat. Peter Major is the Director of Mining Emergence Corporate Solutions in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.